Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around cybersecurity for 20 years. I have a lot of experience working with vendors and variety of cybersecurity companies. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory. As part of my mission in technology and cyber, I always intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivates people to start their own companies. This podcast is also affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast. I have a pleasure to talk to Gaurav today about his journey. Gaurav, can you please introduce yourself and the company? I'm, my name is Gaurav Banga. I am the founder and CEO of Balbix. Balbix is a company that builds a platform called the Balbix Security Cloud. And essentially what we do is we capture data from all types of cybersecurity tools, IT tools, and some business tools to build a unified risk model. And in our model, we enable several use cases, for example, unified asset inventory, vulnerability management, cyber risk quantification, and generally anything that you need in order to make good cybersecurity decisions, good proactive cybersecurity decisions, and keep your company safe. So you guys have been around for quite a long time, seven years. But this is not your first rodeo. This is the second company I believe you're building or the third. Yeah, this is my second cybersecurity company. I started my first company in the mobile software space back in 2003. That was a long time ago. So the this company, the way we got started was like this, right? In my last company, we were in the endpoint security space and had a lot of Fortune 100, Fortune 500 customers. So I... After I left that company, which is called Bromium, in 2015, I took a little break and then went back to meet with my old customers in Washington, D.C. and New York City and just asked them, what would you like me to build? I'm going to start something. I would like to start something. And I want to get your view on what's important to you. And then I listened. And 22 conversations later, I had lots of notes. And the third theme was... Essentially, cybersecurity is getting very complex. It's getting very hard to figure out what the overall big picture is. We are deploying dozens of tools. Help us make sense of the big picture. And that became Balbix. So you left Bromium. You spent some time. But what made you come back and say, I want to have another company? Or you knew right away you want to come back and have another company? Well, what made me start a company is this company is exactly what made me start my second company and my first company. It's the same thing, right? You look for a situation which is very important. You can feel its importance. Like you know that the situation is causing a lot of problem. Uh, a lot of issues happen. A lot of things don't happen because of that situation. You feel that you can contribute something to it. And then you see it as an opportunity to start working backwards and trying to figure out exactly, is there anything I can do or any reason why I personally would be successful in trying to tackle that problem? And that is how all my companies have started. By looking at, let's call it an imperfection or a very important imperfection, a very impactful imperfection in everyday life around us. So you went, you did your market research, you spoke with many of the customers, you kind of crystallized what you want to do. What's next? Do you hire a team? Do you go build a prototype? 
Yeah, so the, the, there are different ways to build companies. One way to build a company on, and I've used this for my first startup and my third startup, was to essentially say, I'm going to build a proof of concept and convince myself that this problem can actually be solved. Because it's not clear at the very beginning whether technically you can solve the problem, right? So a little bit of experimentation might be needed. In, in the case of Balbix, I was already in the cybersecurity space. I had a pretty good idea. Technically, I believed that the solution was feasible. So I took another approach and, you know, skip forward the first process to raise some money and right away, right? And this is not something that's easy to do the first time you're starting a company because you don't have a reputation. Nobody knows you. You have not worked with investors before. You don't have that flexibility. But this time around, since I had worked with investors before, I was able to go in and I decided I want to raise some money right away and you know, hire a team right away. Right? So that's exactly what I did. So I started partnering with our Series A investor, which is Mayfield, and specifically Naveen at Mayfield, Naveen Chadda. We closed the Series A and then started looking for the first 10 people in the company. The first 10 people in the company are very important. So you have to, you know, they, you should always hire very carefully, but for the first few people in the company, you have to hire even more carefully because it's about, it's a very critical moment for a company and a very special kind of person is necessary who can be one of the first 10 employees of the company. So that was the next phase after that. And I guess you want these employees to stay with you for a long time as well. Uh, you want all employees to stay with you for a long time. It's a good, it's a good answer. It doesn't always happen though. Okay, you start building. And do you promote the idea first or are you waiting like the chicken and the egg? Do you go to customers and say, oh, we already have this. Oh, we're going to build this and it's going to come in six months. So what I've learned is that the best way to do this is to do both marketing and product activities simultaneously. Which means... At least that has worked really well for me, which means that, yes, you don't necessarily have to have a big website with a big, you know, splashy description. You don't have to necessarily hire a CMO right away. But what you must do on day one, like this is just before, before the company even has a name, is you need to start talking about what is it that you're building and solicit input from all your future customers to the extent you can. Show them screenshots, show them you know, block diagrams, architectural diagrams, conceptual diagrams, workflow diagrams, whatever you can, and ask, their, ask them for the feedback and input. And try to perfect your messaging as you're get going along. The more of this you can do in parallel, two things happen. First of all, you start building your first set, initial set of customers. And second, your product gets enriched. The input into your product is significantly enriched from you know, actual customers' opinions and customers' viewpoint. You start really understanding the pain of the customer. You know, not all pain is equal. So you really start understanding the pain of the customer that is truly important versus one which is less important. This is very good. And do you see customer want to provide this feedback or do they want to hold back because they want you to come? And present uh, what you have. I think customers like it on the whole. I mean, most customers, as human beings, like to help each other. And that's true for customers too. Of course, not everybody has the time. 
and not everybody's feedback is that useful. Some people just don't put in the efforts and some people are less inclined to do it than the other. But let's put it this way. There are enough people around that will give you feedback. And if you talk to 100 people, you might get five or 15 people to give you feedback. And that's okay. That's perfectly okay. So you have creating of the product, promote the product. You have also getting feedback on the product. That's a lot of tasks. How do you stay on top of tasks? And how do you prioritize the stuff that are more important? And how you decide what's more important? You know, at the end of the day, there's only two things that are important. Your product and the market and the fit, right? So at the end of the day, what you are, if, if you know that, you know, the, your company is going to be successful only if there is a fit between what you're building and what the market needs, understanding the market requirements and making sure that your product can fit into those requirements. And if you look at that as your true north, then everything is okay. I mean, that kind of gives you your prioritization. So if there's a task which is somehow feeding into either understanding the product side or you know, you know, working on the market side, and you could get a hierarchy of what to do now versus what can wait versus what doesn't matter at all. When you're looking at, for example, if you're trying to hire somebody, right, and they they do not have expertise in the feature set or the technologies you need to build your product, but they are a quick learner, and you can see that in three months, which is your timeline for delivering a prototype, they can be productive and very productive. That means the learning curve is fast. If you see that, then that will guide you into hiring that person. And if you don't see that, then you should probably not hire the person at this stage. So you bring an interesting point about hiring. How do you hire people? How do you decide? Do we hire people similar to you, different than you? Because you don't want to stay kind of on the same idea. You want somebody to challenge your ideas as well. But you don't want them to challenge too much because you still want them to progress in the correct path. Yeah, so it really is not about ideas and alignment and all that. It's, you know, hiring is two things. First off, hiring is something that takes a lot of time and energy. And if, you know, what I have learned is you need to set aside a big chunk of your time for hiring purposes and you need to provide the necessary energy into that time. It cannot be something you're multitasking with and all that. So why do you want to do that? You want to do that because you have to be picky and choosy while hiring. And that becomes even more problematic when you're in a competitive hiring landscape like right now, or like has been for the last few years. So what you want to do is you want to set aside enough time, and then you want to fill the time with activities that allow you to find a good match between your organization and your organization's needs at that time and the person that you're trying to recruit. So what I've learned is that different phases of startups require different people with different skill sets and different different mindsets. From a skill set and a mindset perspective, there are many good frameworks that are available that you can you know try to adopt. But ultimately what we try to do is we look for attributes and people that are more likely to make them be successful in the company. Some of those attributes- so are Is there like a framework you personally follow to make sure you have a better success? 
Yes, there are two frameworks that we follow. One framework is a visual framework. It's kind of like a Venn diagram where you can, what are the kind of attributes you want? And then the other one is a famous framework called the Koru 7 framework. So with Koru, we've been using both of these frameworks you know, side by side with each other. If you had to summarize all of these frameworks in a simple word, and these are not my words, these belong to Frank Slutman or actually Volkswagen. We want to hire drivers, not passengers. It's a good way. So you, you want people who are self-motivated, who take lots of ownership and will move your company forward with the dent of their energy and intellect and what they bring to the product, what they bring in, you know, all the little things they do every day, as opposed to other people who would, who would sit back and look for leadership. And for a long time in a startup, you just need drivers, no passengers. In fact, I would say forever you want only drivers in your company, no passengers. What is the challenge to hire people remote, especially during COVID? I'm guessing you need to hire not just in US, maybe Canada, maybe Europe. So it was a little easier to hire people remote and make that, make that work. It's a little harder now. So let me explain what I mean. You know, obviously remote work opens up a huge amount of opportunity for all sorts of companies. You can get access to a lot more talent and to cover a lot more time zones. And now the negative side of it is that it's hard to figure out how to work with someone who you've never met physically. There's a lot of communication that happens between people, which is non-verbal. And yes, with video, it helps, but there's also a lot of communication that happens between people when they actually meet with each other. And it's just, just the amount of the humanness of a, a meeting each other in person that, that has no substitute in you know, video conferencing. So what we found was that in trying to onboard people, trying to recruit people during COVID was actually a little bit easier because everybody was playing on the level playing field. It didn't matter whether you were in the same city or you were in a different country. As long as you were willing to work in the same, you know, reasonable time zone overlap, it was a level playing field. Now, post-COVID, remote becomes a lot harder, right? Because now you have hybrid. And hybrid is a real, really hard thing to get. You have a bunch of folks who are in the office and they are having very high bandwidth interactions on a daily basis. And then there are a bunch of folks who are not in the office. So it can be made to work, but you really have to work at it. And for part of what you have to work at it is a lot of things that you normally take for granted when you are working in person, you can't take them for granted. Hybrid has its own particular set of challenges that are just very unique. And how do you make sure that you give enough voice, give enough airtime to the people who are not in the room? If you go back to the beginning of the journey with Balabix, is there any advice you will give to yourself to do something different? Yeah, I think I'd give you the same advice that I give to myself after starting every company, which is uh, maybe be less ambitious on the problem that we're trying to solve. You know, a startup is about starting here and then compressing, focusing on certain areas. And I think at Balbix, we tried to maybe start a little bit too broad, maybe 25, 30% more broad than we should have. But, you know, at, at some point of time, one thing I've realized in the business of startups, it's very easy to think backwards and say, oh, you know, I learned this and I learned this. I mean, you learn hundreds and hundreds of different things in every, and you just move on. 
next time around, well, you'll be able to take advantage of a few of those. We're going to switch to a different topic. We're going to switch gears, I guess. We're going to move to a dark side. We're going to talk more about what's going wrong. And if you guys still here, and I hope you guys still listening, this is a bit different group or different category of the podcast. Eventually, it will be for Patreons only, but right now it's open for everyone. And group, I want to ask you about the bad days. What went wrong? Bad hires, bad meetings with investors, customers, POCs. Some staff was like, oh my God, why even here? I prefer to be in Miami or Florida, Hawaii, and just surfing the entire day. Well, I think the way I personally think about what, if I understand this right, you know, what you're calling dark things. My advice to anyone thinking about a startup is if you think of those as dark, dark things, then don't start a company. A startup by very definitions are roller coasters. And you know, when you go to a go to Disneyland and you're thinking about getting on a roller coaster, you, you kind of know what you're going to expect. You, you know you're going to have ups and downs. And sometimes the car is going to turn a loop and be upside down. And you don't complain about it. You enjoy it. It doesn't mean that you didn't know how big is the lower cost would be. And maybe in this moment for a second, you're like, oh my God, why do you even went on this right? And then you forget about it and move on. Yeah, I don't know. I guess this is something that I almost go in expecting that there'll be highs and lows. We can get very specifics about it. For example, what has happened you know, multiple times in my startups, including at least a couple of times at Balbix is, when you start a POC for a customer, nothing seems to work, right? All the issues that um, come out, right? For example, we run into the limitations of scale on how we have provisioned the clusters on the back end. And we just, how do you explain to the customer that it's not a product issue, it's a configuration issue. You run into places where the customer wants a key feature, which is not going to be available for another six months or three months. And that is the only reason why they're doing the POC, except in, a, in, the, in, the, in the different discussion before the POC, we did not surface that issue. Or when a key employee decides to leave for whatever reason, or a customer that you really want, and you realize that they are not going to, they're not going to buy a product because they are working with an in-house project and it's very hard to compete with in-house particularly up to a point. So I think the way I kind of think about all of these things is that, is it a crisis moment or is it not? Right. So in a startup, there's a lot of moments that will happen, which are oh shit moments, but they are not crisis. They're just like a daily grind in a startup. Things will go wrong and not everything that goes wrong is a crisis. So you truly want to separate the major crisis from, let's call it the minor crisis. Right? You don't want to not deal with them, but you want to separate them. And the next thing you want to do at that point of time is tell yourself that you need to be extremely calm. Like, I mean, if you've seen Star Trek, you know how Mr. Spock is exceptionally calm. That is exactly what you need to be in any kind of a moment of crisis, minor or major is you need to become Vulcan and more Vulcan, less human. And if you do that, what you will be able to figure out is a series of steps that will get you out of trouble at that point of time. 
is there any tools you use to become more calm or to regulate? I don't know. Breathing, I just tell myself in crisis, and you need to get more calm. You need to become welcome. That's it, and that's all you really need to do. Which is tell yourself that your natural instinct would be to, you know, be less calm. And it's not just about you; it's about everybody around you, right? So this is a teaching that every one of my executives and a lot of our colleagues also get, which is that the best companies are the ones that can become very calm in a moment of crisis and just reduce everything to core logic, issue all emotion, and then work to together towards a solution. And sometimes there is no solution, in which case you just let go of that. You know, sometimes you just have to say, well, this is not the right customer for us, or we don't have a solution that the customer needs. And the more quickly you recognize that, and the more quickly you move on, you're going to save yourself a lot of angst. Very good answer. Thank you. So talking about move on or change, you guys have been around for a long time. Did you need to change direction of the company? You need to change, okay, this is the direction I started, but maybe I need to adapt and go left, right, up and down. Yeah, our journey has been about prioritization which means focus on certain things first. So instead of trying to achieve this big set of feature functionality, we pare it down a little bit and stretch it out. We say, well, this stuff nobody wants. This stuff everybody wants, but we cannot deliver. So we serialize things. So we've done a lot of those and we continue to do that every day, which is to decide what is to be done now versus what can wait until a few weeks or a few months versus what is for the future, right? And that is a continuous process. It's not like five times, we've probably done it. You know, every quarter we do that. And when you look back at, hey, what did we do? You'll realize that we started off with something big and then we focused on it and then we serialized it to happen. We've been fortunate that we didn't have a needed what you were probably asking for is a real pivot where you complain and change what you do. So we sell pretty much the same product that we started off with to the same customer in the same market at about the similar pricing level, except we sell a lot more of it now than you know three years or four years ago. Great. Well, thank you very much. A lot of good information here. I like your framework for hiring. I really like the idea of being calm and learn and understand where you're coming to, what to expect. Anything you want to add? No, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for everybody that's listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave comments and rate us as well. And we will see you in the next episodes. Thank you very much.